Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Drumforge. Drumforge is a forward-thinking developer of audio tools and software for musicians and producers alike. Founded on the idea that great drum sounds should be obtainable for everyone, we focus on your originality. Drumforge, it's your sound. And now your host, A.L. Levy. Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. I am A.L. Levy, and I'm going to apologize in advance for my recording quality. I am in a hotel. My podcasting microphone is broken, and I figured that we should do this podcast anyways because my guests and I have been trying to get together for maybe a month and a half now, and it just kept on getting pushed back and kept on getting pushed back, and I really wanted to talk to them because we don't get to talk to people who work in this genre too much, and it's the genre I come from. I really wanted to do it, and like I said, just kept getting pushed back, and this time worked for the two of us, so here we are. We figured that you guys would prefer to have a podcast than no podcast, so uh, I'd like to welcome Mr. Christian Kore to the podcast. Hello, sir. Hello, I'm very glad to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for being here. If uh, you don't know who he is, he is a German-Swedish uh, musician, composer, music producer. Uh, he's known for working with a number of great bands like Aborted, Crematory, Powerwolf, Eskimo Cowboy. Um, and he's a primary writer and instrumentalist in his solo project, Another Perfect Day, when she tracks everything except for drums. Um, for himself. Uh, he was nominated for Best Metal Production at the uh, Danish Metal Awards in 2009 for his work on the Burnings record Reawakening. And just in general, uh, knows how to make some nasty-sounding productions. So, welcome, sir. Thank you very much for those kind words. And um, I'm, yeah, I'm very glad to be here. And honestly, I like before you got in touch with me, I wasn't aware of this format and this podcast, but of course, since then, I've been checking out quite a few episodes. Don't want to be too charming, but it's it's awesome. And it's it's really cool to see, like, especially that in these days where everything is, like, compressed into, I don't know, 30 seconds Instagram videos, that uh, you guys, you know, leave some space for details. And um, that's just great. So I kept on listening. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. And I, I gotta, I gotta say, man, that I think that there's some wisdom to what you're saying, and that everything being compressed into bite-sized segments these days. I think that that was kind of the the thinking for years and years on how you have to do things to keep up with modern people's attention spans. Yes. But I think that modern people are getting sick of being spoon-fed uh, superficial garbage and they're thirsty or starving for real content and real information. Um, and so we figured that we we're going to give them a real show with uh, where you try to get as deep as possible with the people you're talking to. And, you know, in reality, my longest episodes on this have been the most popular ones. Really? So, okay. yeah. So I think that uh, I think that things are starting to change because I don't know most most people I know, and I know that uh, 
people I know aren't a good sample for the whole population, but you know, most people I know are starting to get sick and tired of everything in three minutes or, or whatever. So um, let me ask you a question. Uh, why did you get started in music production? Oh my God. I think that's like the most like typical or boring story kind of, because I was just one of the typical guys playing guy playing in a band, you know, I'm a guitar player and um, yeah, started doing demos at other studios and figure out like, I, I loved studio work. I loved like capturing the moment and getting into details. That's what I liked and that I was what, what I preferred compared to the energy of a live show. And yeah, and then I bought like my first four track and then I bought my first ADAT and uh, an analog console and then I bought the next one and then people showed up saying like, like from the next rehearsal room saying like, hey, we have 300 bucks, can you, Deutschmarks, can you record us? And I, I went like, cool, that means I can finally buy a Behringer compressor. Yeah, and that's how it went forward and after a few years I... I had that moment when I realized, hey, I, I have become much more of a producer than a than a musician myself, which was kind of scary back then. Was this a was this a good moment or I don't know? Uh, it was oh, oh fuck! It moment. was it was it was kind of mixed because uh, I I really didn't ex expect it. But since then, I have always been someone who preferred working like creatively with people. I'm not a tech nerd i mean i all have all the gear i need and stuff but i i don't know i care more about i don't know making uh, arrangements arrangements for a chorus to make it you know sound awesome than to discuss about the difference of mic priest or something which i can do as well you know but i'm so i i was always trying to stay a musician and to actually understand the band musically And then that usually leads to understanding them sonically, if you know what I mean. Like, um, you were telling me that even with some of the most brutal bands that you work with, you try to take an actual producer approach rather than just engineer. And that it's important for people who aren't familiar with extreme metal yeah. to know that in general, uh, Extreme metal bands don't look for producers. Right. In general, they just look for someone who can record them right. properly. Because it's such an intense style of music, they generally have everything worked out in advance exactly the way they want it. Yeah, and well, they just go to the studio. So, But you don't do... You actually produce these bands. I mean, I, I do that as well. It's always like a matter of what people want me to do, of course. But um, yeah, I, I'm... I, 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 can't really understand why why death metal shouldn't be produced, you know? So, uh, of course, it's much more complicated because death metal is one of the few, uh, like, subgenres of metal where people usually don't write, like, heavy pop songs, So, which is totally fine, by the way. So you have, like, a complicated structure. You can't just listen to a song and, and say, like, okay, uh, let's copy the chorus twice, and, you know, and it's very complicated, so you really have to get into into the material and uh that's just i think there's just no tradition of this because it was i don't know too complicated for producers and bands are not used to do it but that's what i'm trying to do and i'm for example i'm doing that with a border right now they they have started writing their 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 new album i don't know when this will come out 
but they're sending me demos and I get back to them with like detailed suggestions, you know, uh, like just from a different perspective. Like the, like this riff goes too long. This riff goes too short. Like this, any, this any, is great. What kind of stuff? Anything. I could say this riff is too short. I could say like, uh, this is too much of the same chord progressions or I wouldn't use a blast here, do something else. Or these are the strong moments of the songs concentrate on them. And we just started doing this, but they, they, uh, they actually digging my, my, my comments. And it's up, it's totally up to them to, to decide, uh, you know, if they go for it or not, but it gives them like another perspective. And, um, if you want to do it properly, because the music is more complicated than other styles of music, uh, you have to start early. That's, you know, if you just, you know, start tracking without having heard anything, this is not, you can do something, but this is like the, the proper way that people send you demos, you get in touch with them and you try to instruct them, you know, and then you're familiar with the songs and they have, you know, they know you, but this actually mostly only works after having worked together with death metal bands. So you need to do like one album, the, the old school way and make, <laughs> make suggestions there. So they, so they trust you, you know, uh, and, and or start trusting you. And then certainly after, or usually after one or two albums, you reach a point where they go like, Hey, yeah, we trust this guy. Uh, and, for example, with Benighted, another extreme death metal band I work with, we have done quite a few albums and we have yeah, some kind of blind understanding. And like the singer, he just told me recently, he said like, a lot of your suggestions sound weird to me, but I know you long enough that I, I'll try them anyway. And most of the time they work, you know, sometimes they don't work, of course. So uh, if you have that relationship with a band, that's like a perfect base to... Yeah, make better albums. And um, so, when you work with a band for the first time, you know, what steps do you take to gain their trust, so that you can make suggestions in the first place? I mean, I'm 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 highly concentrated, like all the time. So I'm I'm really trying to even when I worked the first time with the board, I haven't seen those guys before. They just showed up here for for their Termination Redux EP, like two years ago or something. And we hadn't met before. They showed up in the morning. We started recording. But from the first moment on, I'm trying to give, I'm trying to understand, you know, who are the guys? How do they work? What do they want? And as soon as possible, I like slowly and, and uh, start, try to make suggestions. And then you have to see how they react, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, you have to read people because you see some people are just not open for this, which is fine. And uh, yeah, and the more you do, uh, then the relationship kind of grows. How, how do you deal with it when you really think that a band needs to, like, is really doing something stupid yeah. for the song, but they just don't want to take your suggestion, but you haven't established yourself with them yet. Like, you're not at the same point as you are with Aborted. Like, say yeah. they're a new band. I mean, that's... You, that's and you just know that this part is fucking stupid. Yeah. And I mean, that's... change it. In the end, it's their problem, you know? And it's... I'm, I'm always saying, like, it's the band that decides, you know, in the end. So I'm not forcing anyone to do something. But usually, with most... I mean, and there are some people who are just not open for this. They worked on, on something for half a year, you know, and talked about every fucking snare drum and every hit, you know, and every chord. And then I show up and listen to it twice and say like, hey, why should we go for a double bass part here? Because it goes like, and they go like, oh my, you know, they're just not too much for them. 
and uh, um, and that's how it is. If they're not, if they're not, uh, I mean, I'm trying hard, but if they're not, uh, if they haven't reached the point, it makes no sense, uh, you know, to force them. It's it's. I mean, it's it's their album in in the end. But um, but most of the time, it's it's within the first two or three days, I can figure out, you know, how far. I can go, and then I go to uh-huh. to that point. And sometimes it's also like different people in the band, you know, like the drummer might be very open, and then the guitar player is like totally blocked or something. And um, yeah, but usually it's just yeah, you gain trust, you slowly gain trust, and then uh, yeah, it, it's getting do you, better and better. Do yeah. most of do most of your first time clients already know your previous work? Yes, yes, all of them. All of them. So that, yeah. so does that help with the trust? Of course, of course. I mean, that's very different compared to the beginning, uh, where you know, where where I had to convince people to come here, and uh, they didn't actually know why, you know. Or if sometimes, like a record company or a management or something, uh, sends people here, I always want to make sure they know why they show up you know why why they show up i want them to listen to my stuff to tell me what what they want i want to even if we're not working creatively you need some kind of vision you know some kind of uh yeah vision is a good word yeah for for a production otherwise vision is a great word we actually just put out a course called speed mixing uh and defining your vision we we said we say that defining your vision is the most important thing you could do in a mix yes like out of the first things there's a million things you can do million directions you could take but the first thing you should always do is define what your vision is yes i agree i mean there's because that determines everything there's also something uh, i would call like instinct which sometimes helps if you're have gained like a certain maturity or experience you know where you because you are not always sure of what you're doing and I'm not always sure of what I'm doing you know no so sometimes you have to rely on that instinct but I I totally agree that's what I'm trying to do all the time is to to uh, to come up with ideas either like musically or sonically present that to the band see if it matches or not and then sometimes you have people with an own vision, you know, and then you have to, that's, that's, that's cool. But you also have people who just come here and say like, I like your work. We, can you make us sound awesome? And then that, I ask them like, what do you want? They said, I like, yeah, just make it sound great. Just, just make it awesome. Well, what, one thing, one thing I should also add is that rarely in my life does the initial vision and the final product match. So I feel like you define a vision so that you start going down a good path. Mm-hmm. But then once you're on the path, you need to let your instinct guide you. Exactly. Um, yeah. Because if you stick too much to the original plan, yes. you might you might be turning down really good ideas. So I feel like you start with the vision, but then you let instincts take over. And if you've worked hard and you have good tastes and good instincts, they'll get you to where you need to get. And oftentimes... The final result is something else. Is the vision plus a bunch of other things that you couldn't have understood before you started the project. I I agree, but still I like I think with most of my stuff, if 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 like me and the the band, if we agree, you know that um, that this is the way to go, and everybody goes like, yeah, great idea, let's let's try that, you know, 
of course you have to you know you have to uh, you have to adapt you know and it's not gonna it's gonna change over the production but most of the time if everybody thinks like yeah that's a great idea my experience is it it mostly works and i don't know this makes the production kind of inspiring and 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 also prevents you from repeating yourself too much you know um if you just come up that's for example that's what i did with benighted because we have been doing i think we've been doing like two albums we have, we, we we just did the 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 latest album called um necrobreed and i did like two albums before and i still say they sound like cool modern brutal metal productions and i really like them but then we with really cool videos yes and I, but then we reached a point where i said like we can do the same thing again it might be three percent better but I don't think I can I can do it like thirty percent better. So it's gonna be boring. Could we? And I have a few ideas. Could we perhaps change it? You know, and then then see how they react. And then if you come up with something new, a new idea, you know, from the get go, that especially if you have worked with people several times, it keeps your work like interesting. You know, and uh, and also like with this benighted the the the, the new benighted production. It totally worked. I was surprised, and even the reviews, you know, people like really understood what we were trying to do, and that that's just awesome if that if that works, you know. So, what's the thirty percent that was different? No, I mean, I I wasn't able to make it like thirty percent better, you know. Just say like we do the same thing again, but this time I don't know. I will dial in like an even better guitar tone. I just felt like uh, what we had to say back then, that kind of sound. That's kind of done and it sounds it sounds great yeah you know now, now i can change it. i can change some details but it, it it's it's boring so i came up i i told them like uh first uh, i thought like uh like vision for benighted for example was like i like they have like very disturbing parts so like they like to surprise surprise people so when you know you, you hear something you go like what the fuck was you know that's what they do and i said we should concentrate on doing as much as possible, like doing things as fucking disturbingly as possible. And on the other hand, they have some really catchy parts. And I said, like, let's try, especially on the vocals, to get as many, I don't know, sing-along choruses, you know, uh, on that album, surrounded by those disturbing parts. Let's see how that works. And let's go, sonically, let's go for a more old-school 90s HM2 guitar sound that may, may th sound thinner which it does by the way thinner and not as good actually as the latest album the albums before but which i don't know has a character a new character you know that might make things more interesting and uh that you know that's what i suggested and they went like hey cool idea let's go for it so and that's what we did and that worked and uh that was cool to see that people actually you know un un understood this you know when, when they were listening to the album and it actually sounds especially guitar the guitar sound is actually on a pure like hi-fi kind of thinking is a lot worse than than the albums before but it has a character that just supports you know the energy we were trying to get you know and that's you know that's that's what i so so technically speaking what did you do on the first the first time around guitar wise what was in the rig I think we used, we always used a, a, an old two-channel rectifier, and I mean, it, it was always like different mics and stuff and details there, but we used a rectifier, and that was always like the benighted sound, did two tracks, and then we did another pair of rhythm tracks, 
um, with let me see, like a more shitty sound, you know, that's just mixed in some kind of HM2-ish thingy there, you know, just for the in there. But that was like, yeah. that was like 20%. So I, I said like, can we like turn that around, you know? Um, but um, don't make like a traditional HM2 tone because that's too shitty for us and we, we need all the details. So let's, let's just find something. I don't know. I, I wasn't sure if that, that would work. Let's find something that you know has that 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 grindy those grindy mids you know those hm2 mids but it's still i don't know defined enough and 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 heavy enough and not not just a, on the power moves uh, like a farty mess you know and um yeah so i came up with some pedals and they came up with some pedals and we yeah, combined there with shitloads of amps that I have here, and and campered some stuff and tried again. And I think in the it was some kind of custom-made French pedal that I had never seen before. Um, that that I think it was a base. So, oh, so when you say HM two ish, yeah, you don't actually mean an HM two. You you kind of went for something that was. Yes, yes. Yeah, the same kind of feel, but yeah, I always I always, U- I always dreamt of something that has that that. That grindy mid-range, you know, that buzzsaw kind of thing. Yeah. But I mean, uh-huh. I I never I, I don't know the 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 HM2, you know, all, all knobs crank kind of thing never worked for me as a main guitar. It was always too shitty for me. I don't know. Perhaps I'm just not capable of doing it or too stupid, whatever. And uh, and it shouldn't sound like 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 dismember or entomb, but it should have that that character, but but more defined. And that was the idea to 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 find something. I I, sh- I still should order that that pedal in in, in France. Yeah, it sounds like it. Do you remember what it was called? <laughs> no, not really. But I, I can ask the, the benighted guys. And uh, yeah, then we tried, and we just said like, okay, if it totally if it doesn't work, then we then we go back to our rectifier setup and just make it like a modern guitar tone. That's easy, you know, more or less. And uh, yeah, but it but it. At least for us, it worked and and has has a more grindcore-ish, dirty feel to it without sounding like lo-fi or anything. So that was risky, actually, to uh, to go for a guitar sound that maybe technically is shittier than the one you made before. Yeah, but if you if you had asked me like if you had asked me or if someone had presented that idea to me like two albums before, I wouldn't have done it because. Uh, we we like both benighted. They were like growing, getting more popular, and I was also like getting better and better. And we both felt like, hey, we don't have to prove anyone that we can do it the the right way, you know. So we've done that. So uh, let's do something else. But I didn't have that maturity before to just say like, hey, it might sound a bit fucked up, but it has the right character, and let's just do it. And um, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do to do more and more, you know. So this kind of freedom to to experiment and bring out unique tones, this is more of a recent thing across all your productions, or is this what you naturally start doing once you've made a few records with people? Yeah, it was it was kind of kind of growing, but but it's like uh, I think I would say I after you have done like a few records that people like, you know, and that have sold well and stuff, then you just gain a certain what is it, self-confidence, you know, that you say, like, I can do something else now, and people, uh, um, you know, people won't just listen to it and say, like, hey, what's that shit? But they will say, like, oh, uh, um, um, they might have meant something, you know, and then, uh, yeah, that 
what do you call it that that bravery you know that uh, that just that just growed and uh especially these days i mean where things compared to the old days are so much the same you know so uh, i think it's about time to yeah really think about doing things differently so can you talk a little bit about working on the power wolf record blessed and possessed oh my god um what I didn't mix, <laughs> I didn't mix that one. Though so it was like uh, um, it was Friedman who mixed it, and uh, I recorded. I, th I think I recorded. I recorded the drums and I recorded the guitars, and um, but for example, Powerwolf is a band I never worked like creatively with. You know, it was just like those guys are so everything is so much done, and they have their like like. They call themselves their cliche format, you know, of things that are allowed and not allowed. It's very, it's very uh, um, um, narrow, and uh, they. Um, um, so uh, I, I could tell them like, hey, you could play. We changed a few notes or something, but that was, for example, not a band where I could say like, hey, couldn't we like, you know, uh, throw that part out and put another one, other part in? But I also felt like there's no need for it because they have this band that has really found their their formula, you know. And it's not going to change. It's like ACDC, you know. And um, so that was more. Yeah. That was more like the the typical engineer technical work, you know. So the band is what the band is, mm -hmm. and and it's that's not what they, that's what they want, you know. And that's what's how it's. Yeah. And I also feel that's how it's supposed to be. And they, if you ask them, they would they would tell you like, "This is Powerwolf," you know. And we have there's there's a certain amount of different drum breaks that work, and there's a certain amount of guitar you know it's just that's what we want it's not an entirely se serious band you know they're kind of kind of funny or like how do you call that kind of ironic you know and uh they just want to be like a i don't know a, a heavy metal super over-the-top cliche band and uh you know steel panther is not going to change you know you know what i mean it's like that's that's how it is yeah, yeah. so 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 when you work with that kind of band uh where Everything is predefined. Yeah. Uh, do you have to shut off a, a part of your brain that wants to make suggestions, or do you just naturally fall into the role of the engineer? I mean, I naturally. And it's not I, I an think. Issue. I think I, I naturally fall there, but it's actually uh, less exciting, or it's not boring, you know. But but for me, it's more exciting uh, if I can work creatively. But um, um, yeah, but I'm not. I mean, sometimes on the other hand, sometimes you can't just come up with a groundbreaking vision all the time, and you can't, you know, work in 120 percent all the time. So it's cool to do these things as well, and to or to just do a mastering for someone, you know, which is like rather like totally technically more or less, you know, and uh, then go back to something where you really have to get into the songs and to the mood of the of the band you know do you ever feel like you get creatively burned out of course <laughs> yes and uh on the other hand yeah i like i just said it's 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 kind of mixed so i'm not i'm so I'm, I'm also like writing with bands you know sometimes i'm also like like uh writing songs or or not for the death metal bands though but writing songs or co-writing songs and stuff and you need both. You just sometimes it's just cool to edit drums for three days, you know. <laughs> and if you have that that kind of mixture, it, it works because the next week you'll have something where you have to work more creatively, 
and yeah, but sometimes it feels cool to just, you know, to just move things from left to right and don't think too much. You know? I kind of used to enjoy editing sometimes because I could listen to podcasts or listen to <laughs> speakers. Okay. I really enjoyed while doing it at the same time. I haven't um, done that though, but yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's, it, it was just like a, a an opportunity for almost for my brain to take a vacation. Yeah, right. Uh, which is good because, like you said, you can't you can't always be delivering groundbreaking ideas. It's impossible. And the problem is that, like in the in the metal world, and with the budgets we have, we don't have like a producer guy, and then you have one or more engineers, you know, who do all the technical work, and the producer just show us shows up sometimes, you know, with a fresh mind and fresh ideas, and tells you, hey, I want this more green or blue or whatever. Um, yeah, you have to do both, um, and which is like two jobs actually. And but you, so it's cool to have those moments where you just like record or just edit, and then you have the other moments where it gets like more important to actually, you know, understand the whole concept of the album, understand the whole concept of the song. Uh, so um, so switching between rather technical work and more creative work is actually a good thing, I guess. So how many days a week do you work? I work uh, five days a week. I try to work five days a week, and I. I used to work like all the time, and I've been doing this for. So you, so you try to work less days a week. So you try to work five down from six or seven, not five up from three or four. Exactly. You no, know, I, I, I've been doing this like for I think fifteen years now, and um, of course, like starting very, very small with local projects, and um, and I mean that's what you have to do in the beginning. You have to work your ass off, you know. And uh, work all the time to make a business like this grow and to make it, you know, kind of successful. But uh, uh, I've come to a point where it was very important for me to to be able to, you know, I don't know, step back and get a get a different perspective, you know. And you can't do that if you work all the time. If a production needs it, you know, and it happens, it happens quite often that I work on a Saturday or Sunday, or if that, that I do like. Um, um, that I work in the evening or at night. That happens, of course, if it's needed. But usually I just tell people, hey, I work from Monday to Friday and uh, I'm not working on the weekend. That's what I'm trying to do. And that helps me, like after 15 years especially, that helps me to stay creative. And, uh, you know, but then, of course, if the if the project needs it, you know, I'm there. And um, so you won't turn down the work, but you're for your own sanity. Yes. You're trying to keep it more structured to during the week. Yes. And um, I mean, but, but also like but perhaps I'm sure you know that as well, that if you if you keep on working and working and working, you, you get lost and you repeat yourself. And it's like it's absolutely just, it's, it's not good. And you start making mistakes or you ask yourself, what am I actually doing here? And so the two main things for me that are important is to have days off where I don't listen to music, where I play with my kids and do other stuff or, uh, you know, and that's one thing that is important. And the other thing that is important to me is that I don't do the same shit all the time, that I don't do death metal records all the time, that I, you know, that I, that I do power metal albums and, and death metal albums and metalcore albums and everything and even record local bands or interesting small bands that do like something else totally if i you know just to stay fresh because otherwise how do you how do you attract clients that are not extreme metal and the reason i ask this is because 
um, my background coming from metal, I know that it's hard to get into other genres once you're known for metal, because once metal bands know you, there's so you get so many of them that it's hard to it's hard to fit in other styles and then getting started in other styles is equally as difficult. How do you, how do you go about finding clients in other styles? I mean, other genres? I, I don't deal with like any bigger bands of other styles. It's all metal, but like in like doing metal only, I mean, there's, if you have like power wolf and aborted and Eskimo Callboy playing the same venue, like on, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, then, uh, um, Uh, it will be a completely different audience. So working like like the, the the metal scene is so diverse. It is different, you know, to work to do a, like a modern metalcore thing compared to a death metal record. So that's one thing that is important that you're not only doing like one thing because you're known for it. But what I do is like if there's any local bands that 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 I like, you know, then then uh, then I sometimes work with them, or sometimes you have like. Uh, Uh, now I there's for example now there's a, there's a project of a of a singer um, um, that recorded here with his metal band and who's do, he's doing another project it's just two people uh, a drummer and him singing and he's playing like five I don't know what even what it is like distorted Hammonds and Rhodes and vintage synthesizers through a wall of guitar amps. And I just said, like, I have to do this. That sounds uh, like a cool idea. I just thought, like, I don't even know what you... Are I really didn't understand it. I was like, they, they are singing through, like, through through stomp boxes and shit, you know. And I, I was like, I was standing at the show and I wasn't... I didn't get it, you know. It was just like, what are, what are you guys doing? But it's fucking awesome. And uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I want to work with you. And I don't even know how to record that yet. But we'll figure it out. And I'm sure if I do that, um, we are working on, on, like, some songs right now. And um, like composing wise, and then if I if I finally record this, I'm sure I will I will get some new inspiration, some new ideas, even for perhaps a death metal production, you know. And that is important to not burn out. I, I think that that's great. And so, did you like? I so I realized that this is someone who you already worked with other projects. Yeah. But when you want to work with bands that are outside your normal type of band do you approach them difficult yeah because i i um usually if you i agree if you do metal and then you try to get in touch with a with a i don't know a indie rock band or something you always have that. they think of you as the metal guy exactly yeah so usually it really works uh i don't know you uh if if some of the guys has played in a band that has worked with me before that's the like the typical way Because yeah, metal is just like a, a stigma. You know? It's like it, it, for better or for worse. Yeah, it is. right, right. But even in metal, you know, there's sometimes uh, um, um, bands, uh, you know, that don't want to work with me because I'm too modern or too extreme or too whatever or you know. But uh, in the end, it works. <laughs> you know, that's the most important thing. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, I'm laughing because I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I've got some questions here from the audience I'd like to ask you. Mm -hmm. uh, here's one from Diego Fernandez, which is, do you often quad track your rhythm guitars? And do you find that it's worthwhile for extreme metal to quad guitars? It's hard to say, actually, because it's so much more work. And I'm doing albums where I just have two guitars. God, it really is yeah. so much more work. And and then 
if people record their guitars here, it's a lot of money, you know, and then, uh, or if they don't do it like at home and it's reamped later. And uh, it's the cool thing about um, quad track guitars is that you have like a, a pair you can, an extra pair you can play play with. So you do like a main guitar sound and then you can say like, okay, what's missing? And then you can experiment and add something. On the other hand, for example, if I do uh, hardcore productions, the 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 advantage of only having two tracks, one left, one right, is that you still like have the impression of there's like two guys playing, and you can like spot them, you know, even if it's just like one guy doubling it. But it feels like you do, you don't have that wall of sound, like that Hollywood kind of thing. That's what I call it, you know, where everything is everywhere, but you can still, you know, you have it, it feels more live. So uh, I'm um, I'm doing both, yeah, and I'm saying like like it's it's if things get very very technical, I usually just do two tracks because it's tighter, and if things are more like raw sounding than uh, like like hardcore and punk stuff, I also do two tracks, and uh, otherwise I try to do four just because it's comfortable for me. Yeah. But it's uh, oh, it's shitloads of work, yeah. It really is shitloads of work. Um, and then it depends on the guitar player. Excuse me. Yeah. It, well, yeah. If the guitar player is not great, yeah. then it's almost not worth even trying. Exactly. So, so some, if people ask me, I very often tell them like, ah, oh, let's just start working. Let's see. And then usually after the first song, uh, you know, I can make a decision if that was going to work or not. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, let, let's be let's be honest. Like. Uh, Lots of guitar players aren't good enough for you to realistically quad track them. Yeah. And then it's a question if you, if you really want to spend five days editing guitars or not, you know. <laughs> not. <laughs> I prefer not to. <laughs> so, Anthony DiGiacomo is wondering, what kind of amps were used on the aborted records? Were the guitars double or quad tracked? It seems like this topic is coming up a lot. Yes. Um, I think that was... Uh, it was it was rectifier again for for uh, for the for the main tracks, and then I think I used a diesel standing right beside me. What is it called? Demol, demol, yeah. And f- uh, for the other tracks, from from what I remember, but I'm pretty bad at actually remembering this. And I, that's I think that's what I did on on the uh, termination redux EP. Where they tracked the guitars themselves. I was just recording drums and vocals here, and then the retrogore album. We recorded everything here, and then because we wanted it to sound like 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 pretty close to the EP, and we liked it, I think we went back to the to the Kemper profiles I had done for the EP. You know, so we could have like more or less the same sound, and uh, yeah. And for the next record, I'm pretty sure we're gonna do something else. Don't know what it is. Do you love the Kemper? Uh, it's it's kind of yeah. It's I mean the Kemper was because I was always I'm still using amps. I've never been using any 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 uh, amp sims for high gain guitars. Other people do and that's fine and they make have great results with it. I was never satisfied satisfied and I preferred like I have a lot of amps. I have a room. I have caps and I know how to do it. So I I set them up. But I was, I think, the, one of the first guys pre-ordering the Camper because it was so unbelievable. And I mean, everybody knows uh, the Camper amp, and it is great. And there is no, there is, there might be a difference, but it's not worth talking about. You can do great records with a Camper. And uh, the thing is, though, that the more presets and templates you have 
for uh, for anything, but also for guitar recording, uh, the more you have a tendency to repeat, you know, just to say, it's easy to say, like, I know this, I don't know, this angle profile works, so let's just go for it. Instead of, like you used to, set up something new, even perhaps use the same amp, and, and find a sound yourself. So that's that, that's a problem sometimes. That's why I... Uh, if we're recording guitars yeah, here... Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I don't want to... I mean, I, I know I have I, I have great sounds in my camper. I'm just using my own stuff there, and it's full with my own presets from, from, from a lot of records that I've done. But I always like pull out three or four amps and start again and try to find something. Uh, be, you know, because uh, everything's going to sound the same otherwise, you know? Makes sense. Yeah. Um, so here's a question from Charles Elliott. How do you get that huge bass sound, and what's your preferred signal chain for bass? Um, different each time. I'm not using amps, or like real amps, or uh, uh, cabs for bass. And uh, except for if there's a bass player showing up like with a, with a rig he likes, and, but that happens like not often, you know. Bass players usually come here and say like, hey, I don't even have a bass, like make it, you know. Their <laughs> <laughs> guitar, guitar players talk to you about their cables, you know, and about every fucking detail. And then bass players, you know, are different. And uh, but um, I usually also do like I have like uh, different tracks running, like that typical setup where you have a like a clean clean track for the for the low end and compress it and and try to get a undistorted low end. And um, then there's different pedals but very typical stuff like the standing right here what is it called microtubes p7k from dark glass or mm-hmm. or the different i was actually just about to ask you if you like the dark glass pedals. I, I, I like it and, I, and then there's the there's a cool pedal from tech 21 that ampeg pedal don't remember yeah what the sans amp you know not the normal sans amp but the the ampeg thing they do vt vt oh, yeah. base that's cool then there's a few different i like amplitude as well there's a cool plugin called Bass Grinder, but it's it's always different and very important is you need to track with a cool bass. If you have the right bass, you know, you can use any of those pedals and you're gonna get a great grindy death metal tone with it. But if you have a bass, like especially with old strings, um, that is just I don't know, that just I don't know, if you distort it, it just sounds farty and fuzzy and shitty, you know. You can take the best pedals in the world, so it's very, very important to choose the right bass. For guitars, it's not, it's not that important, you know? It's if you, I mean, the difference between, there is a difference, of course, but if you just take an ESP guitar with an EMG and then a Gibson Les Paul with passive pickups, there's differences, but it's not night and day. And with bass guitars, if you have a shitty DI signal, it's not gonna work, you know? It's not gonna sound great. Yeah, people don't seem to understand. With bass, it's... It comes down to even strings. If your strings are a little too old, it drastically changes the tone. Like bass is super sensitive, and it's also super important to get right. Yes, it's uh, one of those elements that lots of newcomers tend to overlook, but it's also the place where their mixes tend to suffer the most. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, to get like a decent, decent, stable low end. But then also have a, like a great sounding bass and make it like audible, audible in the mix. That's like the, the the 
the, the most difficult part to get right. But I think it's the same thing with clean guitars. Like for some reason, I don't know why, but in in if you record record highly distorted guitars, it's like I mean I do care about which pickups you use and which guitar you use and stuff. But in the end, if you have something decent, I always prefer the guitar player to to use the guitar he feels comfortable with, and um, it's not going to be a night and day difference on clean guitars and on bass. Perhaps because they're not so distorted, it is you know all the details matter. Yeah, and um, uh, yeah, it's like and even like. Uh, bass strings matter, you know. Use steel strings. Absolutely. Uh, use steel strings and don't use any nickel. What do they call nickel plated or something? You know, use fresh strings and 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 all that stuff. You know, that is that is really 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 important. And that is also the the most problematic part when when I mix stuff that is not recorded here. That you, uh, I try to make sure I can. I tell people like, send, if you have three bases, record them all with fresh strings. Send them to me before you start recording. I will tell you which one to. To, to to choose you know um, because it's frustrating because you you can use 55 plug- plugins and it's not going to work <laughs> i've uh, i've actually done shootouts of different bass strings ah, yeah. just to just to prove that it makes a huge difference pro steel and it does yeah. it really does dadario pro steel those are those are cool i think pro oh steel. those are my favorite yeah. and there's some pro warwick, steel all the way some warwick strings that will like that are way cheaper the red warwick strings they also sound very good but they will die after two songs like more or less, you know? but they're also cool so will pro steels in my experience two songs is a lot like in my experience the pro steels go after one but uh, that's why you need it. That's why you need an endorsement. So yeah, you can right. Get them right. For yeah, cheap, cheap as hell. Because God, they're expensive. But it also depends on the player and the sweat and. Uh, um, yes. Yeah. That too. But changing bass strings, dear people, yeah, makes makes sense. Yeah. If you want to have that dangle, dangle, dangle sound, yeah. So here's a question from John Ganser, which is, the low end just hammers on the aborted albums. What do you find most challenging to overcome with this style of death metal besides low end? Um, good question. To be honest, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, clarity, of course, clarity is one thing, and but that has more to do with the, with the recording process, you know? So clarity is, is uh, is more like, like, uh, how things are played, how the palm mutes are played and all that stuff. So if you have a good guitar player, that, that's going to work. And the aborted guys are great, great guitar players. And, um, and, or you have to sit here beside the guitar player and, you know, watch their fingers and, and, you know, and, and whip them hard to, and remind them, you know, to move their hand to the right spot, you know, for the palm mutes and stuff. That's how you get the clarity, not by choosing the right camper profile or choosing the right amp. Um, so that's yeah difficult here. Yeah. This style of metal relies heavily on the playing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, the best sounding bands on recordings also sound great live in yeah. this genre. And also, it's like I'm, I'm really trying. I don't know if, if people hear that, but I'm really trying to keep the drums as natural as possible. And that means, uh, um, uh, first of all, I'm only using the samples that I'm recording at the same session with the same drummer. I'm. I mean, there's always an exception, but I'm not using any sample libraries or stuff. So I want to make get the drum right in the room, get get and get the miking right in the room, so everything everything is you know 
transparent and audible in the end. And you need to either have a great drummer who plays perfectly anyway, or you need to tell someone how to do things. And uh, that helps a lot because you can get clarity by just triggering the shit out of everything. Uh, it's going to sound very clear, but very boring as well. And um, so that, that is important. But it's just, it's, it's the recording process. You know, choose the right symbols, choose the right so, mics, choose, you know. So you don't sample replace very often. Does, am I understanding that correctly? I'm, I'm using samples. I'm using, I think, samples on all of the extreme albums that I do. But I'm just using the samples that I'm recording in the session. So I, I, before we start recording, I'll let the drummer give me, I don't know, 100 samples of the snare in diff different velocities, left hand, right hand, rim shots, all that stuff. I'm recording that with a lot of mics. And what I usually do is later, then I use the original track as much as I can do. But then I have like a, a preset in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a sample player where I have the, the unprocessed um, um, samples different velocities of the direct snare of the overheads of different room mics just like having you know one of those vst instruments and then i have like yeah. know, five faders of so the original snare and others and then and that blends of course perfectly so you can say like this part doesn't need anything on the other part i just want the original snare plus a lot of room sample only and you know you can play with it it's a lot of work to cut all those samples and to put them in there that takes a lot of time but that's how you i don't know keep more of the original performance yet making things sound punchy and modern do you do this yourself or do you have an assistant help you no i i have i have two pe other people working here but uh I don't know. I still do this myself because then I know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, I'd love to skip this the process there, but um, I don't know. I, I handpick all the samples myself. Yeah, unfortunately. I, I you know what? It's very interesting that you do it this way because one thing that we always show people how to do is with samples is how to create fake rooms or how to. Uh, How, how to create a room, just like a snare room, yeah. for instance. And yeah. you're doing the exact same thing. You're just doing it based off of the samples that you recorded right then and there. Right. I, I end up like working the same way like, like other people who just have their original snare and then they open up some whatever Stephen Slade or, you know, some kind of sample player, you know, and then they try to combine those two and very often end up just using the faked snare. Uh, And um, yeah, but if you do it that way, it's more work because you spend some hours on, you know, preparing all those samples. But the cool, the really cool thing is that it blends so well. So you can do a lot of automation there and, uh, and you are able to control the original room that you have. But if you just crank the room mics, you're going to have way too much cymbal wash and shit there on a death metal record. So you perhaps just want to use the, 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 the room samples of the snare And uh, so once you've done, gone through all that extra work, it's, I think there's nothing else that beats it, you know, because you always, I mean, making a different snare that's recorded somewhere else in a different room with different mics, tuned differently, you know, like interact with your original snare. It, I mean, it, can, it can work, of course, but uh, it's, it's always kind of, or very often kind of, alien sounding so my experience is that people just like end up with 90% of the fake snare and nothing of the original snare and 
machine gun like drums, you know. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's a question from Dinesh Velayath, which is, now he actually has a few questions. Okay. I'll start with the first one. For tremolo picked riffs, when the double bass drum and the bass guitar follow along, how do you control the low end? I'm asking this both from a mixing standpoint as well as a production standpoint. Do you ask the bass player to play at halftime relative to the guitarist? What do you do? First of all, what is a tremolo picked riff? <laughs> like a fast riff or something? Uh, or? Yeah, it's the fast riffs where um, they're going as fast as possible with the right yeah. hand. Ah, okay, so I mean, I'm a big fan of, of uh, playing as slowly as possible on the bass, you know. If you don't need the grind, so if you don't really need to hear the bass on that part, like like grinding, then it's way easier to mix, to just go for a dang, 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 instead of the rrrrp, yeah? uh, because yeah. the, the low end needs some time to develop, you know, and uh, if you, if the mix, if the bass is not very prominent in the mix, you, I'm sure you know, know that situation where you just mix, you think like, oh, that part of the low end is perfect, and then comes the fast part, and you just think like, hell, the low end is gone. What happened? Did I just mute the bass? And then you realize, oh, fuck, no, he's playing too fast. And there's no low end anymore. So, uh, mm-hmm. so I, I'm trying to make the bass player play as yeah as slowly as possible. Makes sense. Um, here's question number two from him: Do you ever use reverb on the rhythm guitars? And if so, could you let us know why you use it? I'm not using reverb on rhythm guitars, like on a on, a, on let's say like normal parts or something. It's an effect somewhere. If you have, I think I did that on the aborted record as well. If you have parts that are supposed to be very I don't know, deep and atmospheric and stuff, then you want reverb everywhere. So, but that's more of an effect. I wouldn't, uh, for this kind of metal, I wouldn't recommend using reverb on rhythm guitars. Just asking to make a mess out of the mix. Yeah, um, exactly. On the other hand, I mean, there might be some people doing this with great results. I don't know, but I don't do it because, like you said, it's going to end up with sounding very uh, messy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So here's question number three from him. Do you process the snare in a blast beat differently than the snare in a slower part of the song? Same question goes for kick drum also. Are they laid out on separate tracks and processed differently? No. I'm in general I'm very, very simple. I'm not using a lot of buses and different, you know, effects change and stuff. I'm I'm trying to keep things as simple as possible using uh, um as little plugins as possible. Um that makes things usually easier and you don't end up with you know, a million plugins where you, if you, where you don't even remember why you, you know, chose the first ones. And for blast beats and, and normal parts, if I use like, um, I'm not doing any different. I, I, I usually like make the snare like by hand, like automation louder on the blast beats. Just, I don't know, 40 dB or something even, you know, try to make it uh, come up. As soon as you get too much bleed from other instruments, you know you're you've gone too far, and um, and then I'm trying to to find the on the samples I'm using. I'm trying to find the right velocity range for for the samples. So typically, if like a, a kick or a snare is on 127 MIDI velocity, it's gonna be I don't know the snare on a blast beat is gonna be on 90 or something or 80 on a blast beat. Mm-hmm. Or it's going to be on 110 or something on uh, on a on a double bass part. So that's uh, um, 
So there is a difference. Yeah. And that also d depends on which samples you're using because they all have different sweet spots, I guess, at different velocities. Exactly. And that's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm doing. That's why I'm doing it myself. So I'm like, if I do those different velocities for the drums, like cutting the samples, the first thing I do is like I insert the sample player and I try it like on a, on a normal part where you just have the, 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 like the full power hits. And then you try it on a blast beat and on a double bass part and stuff like that. And then you try tr try to see if you found the the right samples, you know, or not. And if not, I go back, cutting out like different samples or going to a different velocity. So it's very important to to make that like work from the beginning. And once all that work is done, you know, like when you're mixing, you know, like, all right, double bass is going to be 110 and blast beat is going to be 75 and go for it. And then it's not, yeah, that is easy. All right, final question from Dinesh, and this is also going to be the final question. This one's about guitar tone. Yes. Dinesh says, I would like to know your thoughts on layering guitar tracks to make a composite single guitar tone. Is this something that's done for this genre? Could you share some of the things that you look for when layering guitars? What are the checkboxes you tick off in your mind when you have reached a tone you like? Thanks, man. Well, I guess we already know that you do like to layer tones. Yes, you were talking about layering the yes, HM2-ish yeah. kind of sound to the rectifier with the, or something. The rec yeah. and stuff. So maybe you could just elaborate a little bit more on that. Uh, what I'm trying to do is actually is I'm trying to get like the final sound from my first pair of guitars. That was I'm trying to get the best sound possible. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm trying to do, and that sometimes that sometimes works. You know that you just uh, you have the feeling that it's all there, and but. Uh, then usually during the, the 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 process of recording the guitars, that's a cool thing by the way about also like actually recording the bands that you can like split the decisions like you don't have to make all decisions on one day. So when I'm recording guitars like with the first sound, then then I try to figure out what's missing if there's something missing, and then you might end up with saying like okay this is. We need more low end, or we need more grind, or we need whatever. And then I'm usually trying to uh, find a sound that is just like yeah, perhaps 20, 30, 40 percent of the of the of the of the final sound in the end, but a sound that is gonna yeah gonna gonna bring in whatever's missing. That's what I'm what I'm what I'm doing. And then it helps to actually know that ah, I've got this amp who usually has a lot of whatever, you know, and that's going to work with it. It's always like guesswork and sometimes it works directly. Sometimes you have to try harder, but uh, that's what I'm doing. Trying to get a main tone and then adding what's missing. So you, so like you said, you're trying to get it as finished as possible before you even get started. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm always trying to not do too much to guitar. So I'm... Like the question before, I'm not having like separate buses for blasts and, and, and like normal parts or something, or slow parts. And I'm trying not to, I'm usually just having, I don't know, one or two plugins on the guitars and just EQing a little later in the mix. But I'm really, really trying to, 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 to get the final tone, like 90% of the final tone by just recording and, and mixing, mixing the tracks that I have. Because especially on guitars, I believe as soon as you do more than a few dBs of of EQ and if you mangle them hard, you can do that with a bass drum, no problem, or with a snare drum. But with guitars, 
it's gonna sound like a, I don't know a dull guitar with 15 dB of highs, you know, raped in, so to say, you know. So I'm I'm always trying to get. It, it's very easy to ruin yeah. guitars, and it's with easy too to, much EQ, and it's easy easy to overlook because you get the right frequency response, and it feels like it feels right, you know. It sounds like whatever you're looking for, but you it's easy to 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 miss the point that you're actually destroying something else, and uh, so I. Um, I believe that getting great metal guitar tones is you don't need shitloads of plugins and, and and processing for it actually if you have the right if you choose the right tools. I totally agree with you. Well Christian, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a Thank you very much for having me, man. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you and I'm glad that we finally got to do this after going back and forth for so long. <laughs> me too. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, well have a great evening and uh, hope we can do this again soon sometime hopefully and thanks everyone for listening and greetings from Germany bye bye the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Drumforge Drumforge is a forward thinking developer of audio tools and software for musicians and producers alike founded on the idea that great drum sound should be obtainable for everyone we focus on your originality Drumforge it's your sound go to drumforge.com for more info To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit nailthemix.com slash podcast and subscribe today.